Hi, this is Jack Tester, I'm President and CEO of Nexstar, and welcome to another edition here of Leadership Lounge. I have the distinct privilege of being in Huntington Beach, California at our Leadership Spotlight event, and we just had Patrick Lincioni speak. Hi, Patrick. It's good to be here, Jack. How are you? Doing great. You are a noted uh, business guru. And well, that's what I've heard, but I, I think I'm an author and a consultant, probably. How many books <laughs> have you sold? Uh, I think over five million. Over five million. Outstanding. Yeah. That, that would put you in the guru status, I think, <laughs> okay. as, as a business person, right? <laughs> and what are some of the books you've written? Well, the, the biggest one is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Okay. Um, the Advantage is, 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 is my only nonfiction book. Uh, recently, we, we did one called The Ideal Team Player. Okay. And then there's a host of others like Death by Meeting and Silos <laughs> Politics. There's okay. a bunch of them. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you also are the president of the Table Group. Is that right? Yeah, that's my first job is to, uh, to run my company, which, which is a consulting firm and a think tank. And a, we make products and services for, for leaders that want to make their organizations healthier. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you are the perfect uh, fit for this meeting. We've been on a leadership development journey here at NextStar talking about how to create better leaders within our organization, within our, our member organizations. And we talked about team leadership. We talked about a healthy organization today. So tell us a little bit about uh, kind of how you came upon this idea of healthy and uh, what that means. So I think organizational health came to me um, when I first got out of college, and I, I, I wasn't a terribly sophisticated college grad, and I, my dad... I know what that's like, by the way. Yeah. Right, I'm with you. <laughs> and so I, I came from a pretty blue-collar family, in, in a way, and so when I went to work at a prestigious management consulting firm in San Francisco, they were just, like, all about learning and, and, and analysis and all that, and I thought that was fascinating, but what I realized, we'd go to our clients, and they didn't implement half the stuff we told them, because they were so dysfunctional politically and behaviorally. Okay. And I was like well, what about this? If we actually helped them do that, they could get a heck of a lot more out of the intellectual stuff we do for them, but okay. nobody seemed to be interested in helping them with that. Okay, so what happened? What did you do? So I <clears throat> went to a company called Oracle, which was nobody knew about the company at the time. It was in the early days. And I learned about a company with a really weird culture. And leadership there and, and the culture were pretty strange. Okay. And, um, and I was like, oh, wow. And, and they were successful from a business standpoint, but not from an employee development and an employee satisfaction, or even in many ways from a customer standpoint. And so then I went to work for one of their competitors who was like the opposite, that really cared about people. And I was involved in organizational communication, and I learned from some humble leaders mm-hmm. about how to build a company, and, and I, I kind of learned on the, on, on the fly. Okay. And then I was sitting there one day, and I got a call from, from uh, a Pix, Pixar, and Pixar. Steve Jobs offered me the job to run HR at Pixar. And then another that sounds pretty cool. I know, and I interviewed yeah. with him, and but I didn't want to do HR, and uh, I had other things in mind, and and so I turned him down, and he was going to try to talk me into it, and then he got hired back to go to Apple, which was a good thing for me because and then I got another job offer to run with another famous CEO, and I thought, what am I doing? I love the people I work with, and I'm really passionate about this organizational health thing that I've been talking about. I want to start my own company, so four of uh, me and four others jumped ship and started our own consulting firm with no expectation that I would be writing books, giving speeches. We were just going to work with small companies that needed help getting healthier and getting more yeah. effective. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about this. You, you, you talk about there's, there's two things in an organization. It's to be a smart organization and a healthy organization. Just define that real quick what that means. Well, smart is the stuff you learn about in business school or you read about in most business magazines or newspapers. It's the, it's the, um, the, the decision sciences. 
Okay. It's, it's things like marketing and strategy and finance and technology, all very interesting. Right. But everybody knows that stuff. Yeah. And it, it's not much of a differentiator anymore. Pretty we, much there's we, small companies out there that use the same technology as well, big ones. I read your book, and I loved it, The Five Dysfunctions, by the way. Thanks. And uh, um, you mentioned that, that this information is now so accessible. I mean, maybe 40 years ago, maybe there was a distinction, right? Absolutely. You could use a piece of technology or, or have a different way of doing things. And in your industry, like somebody could say, we've figured out a way to make HVAC work that nobody's yet figured out. Well, now, two weeks later, people know. They share information. It's right. out on the Internet. Right. It's really difficult to have a competitive advantage based on something intellectual. Yeah, on, on the smart side of the business, yeah. right? But, but yet, you make a point that that's where people spend all their time. They spend, or not everybody, but that's where so much energy is, is gone to. When a business is in trouble, you, you start looking at the numbers. You start to focus on maybe we need a new strategy. You come together to redo your business plan. You do all these things. You really buckle. Right. We've got to really look at our balance sheet every week now and all that stuff, right? That's what you do. Yeah. And yet, companies are going, that's incremental at best. Yeah. They're going, this isn't really changing everything. And it's not until they actually have the courage to look at the behavioral parts, which is not soft and touchy-feely. It's like, why, how do we make decisions? How do we talk to one another? How do we interact with one another at the senior executive level? And then how do we communicate that to the rest of the organization? If that's broken, all the intelligence in the world is not going to pay off. Yeah. Yeah. So, did, so when you say you start working on a, on a healthy organization, so you got this smart stuff, and we get that, I yep. think. You, now, we work on healthy. Where do you start? You start at the top. Okay. You start with the, with the leader of the organization. So if you're trying to make a department within a company healthy, it's the head of the department. But if you're trying to make a company healthy, it's the CEO. And uh, his or her direct reports and him, that is where 90% of it lives. Because if they get it right, and then they just live it, Right. It's going to happen. They start to model it, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and so many times they think, well, how can we kind of figure this out and communicate it and, and project it without actually living it? Mm-hmm. And that just leads to a lot of frustration on the part of employees who see a gap between what's said and what's done. So they, they come up with the words and they might have a, a newsletter or something where they, they, they put, you know, XYZ company cares with a little heart and exactly. like all that stuff. But it's, they're not living it, right? Absolutely. On a team level. And people are like... Well, what can we do to make it real? And it's like, if you live it, you can't keep it from permeating the organization. Now, if you live it, then you might as well tell people about it and make right. it easy. Right. But if, if somebody said, well, we're not allowed to communicate, I'd say, that's fine. Just live it internally, and people watch the way you act, and they'll do it, too. Yeah. One thing you pointed out, and, and as our members grow and, and as people in the home services business grow, all of a sudden they've got multiple departments. You know, 20 years ago when this – industry was emerging there wasn't a separate marketing department it's something the owner did on the right, side right you know there wasn't a, a whole finance group it was something the bookkeeper they had a bookkeeper you know the who also answered the phone so they were the call center too now all of a sudden you got these bigger businesses you got a call center over here with eight ten people in it and it's got a manager and then you've got a warehouse that's got its own person and you've got service and plumbing service and hvac installation so now you might have seven to eight departments and I always hear this, and I've, I have kind of thought that this is just life, this idea of silos, right? Right. That, that naturally creep in, and I just thought it was a function of a bigger business, and that's just life as, as we chose, the life we chose. Right. All right? But you're, what do you say when there's silos in a business? What is that symptomatic of? What, what it is is, and I like the way you said this, in the old days how it worked is everybody did a little bit of everything, and, it was like, and, and that's the way it should be at the senior executive level. In other words, okay. they should be 
thinking of themselves not in terms of the functional leadership they do. That should be their day job. Or, but, but what they should really be thinking about when they're together is how do we make this company better? You're a member of the leadership team. And, and let's go use an example like the lawyer. Like the, if a company had a lawyer, like a legal counsel, oftentimes they'd come to the meetings and they'd be filling out legal paperwork. And if a legal issue came up, they'd weigh in. Otherwise, they'd kind of check out. Right, right. And yet what we'd found is that people that didn't have expertise in an area often had the best ideas. Okay. And we're like, take off your hat that says you're the lawyer. Take off your hat that says you're in charge of systems mm-hmm. or technology. Take off your hat that says you're in operations. And let's just all be part of a team and solve problems that are going to help the company. Yes, when you have to go back to your day job, we know you have specialties right. and you're going to do those. But if we can kind of emulate those early days of entrepreneurship where we're sitting around saying, how are we going to run this business? Yeah. Then when we go out and do our day jobs, those aren't, those aren't going to become silos. They're going to become areas of specialty. Yeah. So if we don't break down the silos at the top by getting people to think holistically about the business rather than about their, their departmental responsibilities, it's never going to happen. Yeah. And, it, and, and most executives love thinking it more holistically. They're, they don't want to just think in their lane, but they're used to that. And like you said, we kind of just said, well, we're bigger now, so that's the way it's going to be. And so when executive teams go, you mean we can actually weigh in on other things and help one another? Their satisfaction goes up. And the rest of the company says, oh, wow, we're, we're part of one team. They all work together up there. We're going to start doing that, too. Oh, that's awesome. Now, you also, to take that one step further, you, you said, uh, you didn't use these words exactly, but if there's friction between a function, you know, it's, it's some, there's some natural friction points in businesses, at least our business, right? Sure. Service and installation or sales Absolutely. and installation, things that just seems to always be a little bit of a, you know, some, some tension in the air, right? Not always, but it's common. Yeah. And you said if you've got two functions that are, are seem to be at odds, it's because the managers of those functions. Yeah, it always goes back to the senior leadership team. Now, what's interesting, though, sometimes people will say, well, the head of sales and the head of service or installation, they're not, they get along fine. There's no tension. It's like, yeah, yeah, that may be. So they're not committing sins of commission where they're like at each other's throat. But what they haven't done is they haven't worked through all the issues that they need to and haven't really gotten on the same yeah. page. And if they don't do that, then they're leaving their direct reports to, to fight things out. And so what I like to say is more often it's what we tolerate or what we don't do that causes problems in our organizations, not what we actively do. Well, that's awesome. Okay. Tell me and, more. Well, so, so we just bought a bed and it was a sleep number bed, okay. right? So it's technology. It's not just a bed. And so I, we, we got it sold to us and they were quite good, actually. I thought it was good. And then the guys came in to install it. Which installation is really kind of tricky because they have to teach you some computer stuff right. and they, all these, yeah. and and we're not super technical. So it, it, I'm sure a person in your field, the same kind of thing. familiar with how to operate a thermostat and all it, the stuff that we go through. Exactly. Right? Right. And we didn't have all the right equipment that came in through for sales, and, and I'm sure there was some user error on my part. And it was so interesting to see how the people installing it dealt with the people who sold it. But what I loved is they took responsibility for it, and they said, "We're going to call." And they were, they were calling the store where we bought it. And then the, the installation guy said, hey, I'm dating a woman that works at another store. I'm going to call her and figure this out. And they said, we are going to be, we are not going to say like, hey, all we do is install. We are going to take responsibility for solving your problem because you're a customer. Mm-hmm. And I don't, 
I need to be part of the whole team. And even though it didn't work perfectly and they have to do some things later, I was thrilled with what they did. My wife loved them, and I am going to fill out that five-minute survey and give them kudos for it. So it wasn't just whether it worked the way I thought it would or not. It was that they're going to help us figure it out, and they didn't say, hey, I don't know, it's not my job. Well, they didn't even worse say, I don't know what sales is doing these days. No. Right. You know what they did do, though? What was interesting? They, they empathized with us. Okay. And they said, you know, they have to do a better job over there, but we're going to call them and we're going to help okay. them see that. So they kind of acknowledged that there might have been a sales error. Right. They were good about it, right? And it didn't, they didn't throw them under the bus, but they also didn't say, oh, well, we would never make a mistake. Right. They were vulnerable enough to go, yes, yeah, sometimes this happens. Let us help you figure it out. Oh, that's pretty cool. I yeah. was like really pleased. Yeah. So well, I, I just, I, it, you just, that really resonated with me because I, I've been on a fair amount of big businesses and I've seen tension points. And I do agree that it, it's where there's two managers that just don't seem to be there. Right. For whatever reason. And it's not that they're bad people. I just don't know that we've addressed it. In right? fact, they might get along fine. They just haven't gone to the place where they need to go. Yeah. I think that's, that's it. So, you know, the, you, you really set up a compelling case about this idea that as a leader of a business, you have to work on the health of the company. Yes. It's not just about smarts. And you've set that up. Now, I want you to get into detail for the folks listening. Why won't companies do this? You mentioned there's three reasons. Yeah. Some of them, like there's some classically trained executive who thinks, oh, this, it can't be this simple. I, I didn't go to business school and go to college and, and, and take executive classes to, to embrace simple principles of behavior. Okay. It, it has to be more sophisticated than that. There is has it, to be a it, logarithm involved in this. They still go back to a, they just can't admit that it's simple. We call it the sophistication bias. Okay. And I will tell you this, in the nation, we, we have businesses of all sizes and places doing this, but we have a harder time cracking into Wall Street and to some of the more academic businesses because they're just so enamored with, with things that are complicated and if it's not complicated, it can't possibly that be that important. So we call it the sophistication bias. That's uh, you, one. And you mentioned kind of uh, your example was is that some companies just kind of think they're above it. Right. Right? Yeah. They're like, oh, this is below us. And they look at a company like Southwest Airlines or Chick-fil-A that does amazing things for their customers. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. That's just, that's silly. It's like, so the customers want it. It makes them happier. They're more loyal. Your employees like to provide that service. But because you went to Harvard and you think that's silly you're not going to do it. And basically they're like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they just say that. And Southwest is like, okay, we'll just Good. keep doing this. Good. Yeah, just keep doing that. All right, yeah. so that's one. What's another one? Um, the next one we call the adrenaline bias, which is they're so frantic. They, they, need, they want a silver bullet that they can implement tomorrow. Yeah. Like, so can we, can we plug this in and get the benefit from it tomorrow? We're like, no, it's going to take a few weeks and months to actually start to build a healthy organ. You'll see the fruits of it fairly soon, but it's yeah. going to be, yeah, 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 no, 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 I want something tomorrow. I want a solution that somebody could come in and install. Right. And it's like, no, this is not how that works. Do you see, and I've seen this maybe, and I've even been maybe be guilty of this, but there is a certain amount of satisfaction with being a firefighter in your business. Absolutely. You know, and being the answer guy and going in and seeing, saving the day, and maybe, you know, because I've seen it when, when, when you've started a business that's small, and, you know, I remember this organization in its early days. And it's chaotic and, you know, you're living on the edge and you kind of get used to that feeling. And then things are going right. It's almost like I, I, I sought out yes. problem or sought out. I created anxiety where I didn't need to. Right. Right. Yeah. Speak to that. Well, part of it is that desire we have for immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. And so we, we want to 
isn't there something I can do that I'm going to see the benefits of right away? Yeah. And so sometimes we'll create, a, we'll start a fire so we can put one out. Yes. Right. Whereas preventing that fire or understanding why it starts is sometimes hard for people who are used to immediate gratification. And it's like, no, we have to take a little bit longer view of this. Now, thankfully, it's not a, it's not months and years. It's weeks and months. Yeah. And and to be able to see, and in fact, some of the work we do in a matter of hours and days, you can be see the beginning of it. You right. can see a big so change. It's not that long of a delayed gratification. No, no, no. You know, like you know, investing in the stock market or something. Right? Yeah, but it's not one conversation. Right. And saying we're done. Right. And we all in our lives, in our faith lives, in our family lives, we think, can I just have one conversation with my right. wife and declare it a great marriage? It's like, uh, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We had a great date. <laughs> well, I think the adrenaline bias really fits our industry because we, you know, it's a service business. Mm-hmm. You're in the moment. Um, and, I, and I know, I'm speaking for myself, that people get a lot of satisfaction out of, of a little bit of that chaos. And the heroics. That yeah, the heroics. Yeah. You know, and being the guy. Yeah. And being the answer guy and, and, you know, mediating and all that stuff. I mean, I guess like any relationship that can occur, right? Absolutely. It's very normal. Yeah. But it just doesn't lend itself to long-term health. I guess if there's anyone listening with an adrenaline bias, the way you set up and how to work through the five dysfunctions, there'll be enough fun conflict for you on the way up. So, right? Absolutely. Right? So you won't lose it, right? And once you get it going in the right direction over, right. Uh, over the course of a few days and yeah. weeks and months, things get a lot easier Okay. and more fun. Yeah. So what's the, uh, what's the third? We call it the um, quantification bias, and that is people are like, okay, so if I do this organizational health thing, how much more money am I going to make next year? And we're like, Oh, no, it's bigger than that. It's going to permeate everything in your organization. It's going to permeate the culture, the daily meetings. It's going to permeate the way customers you show up with customers. This is going to be so big that there's no way that I can, you know, legitimately isolate a variable and tell you it's going to be a 30% gain on this. And if you ask a healthy company, Southwest Airlines, Chick-fil-A, like, so what's it worth that you get your executive team working together? You have a good culture where people are honest and they do this. They'd say, it's everything. We can't separate it from everything anything yeah it impacts every single thing we do right so for those that are like um i need to see exactly what i'm going to get out of this now the good news is people that get this what we say they're like how much does it cost and i say it doesn't cost a lot most of it's free and when when they say how much is it going to cost to work with you it's basically like well we're going to do this this is what it costs and once it's over you're going to go oh gosh i paid 10 times that this is because it's there's just no way to value this like i like to say it's like if there's a husband and wife and they want the best for their kids and they're not getting along it's like, okay, let's do some counseling and get you guys working well together. Well, how much is that going to benefit my kids? It's like, what do you mean? It's going to be everything. Yeah. It's like, really? Would you cost analyze this? Right. No, you would right. never do that. In a company, it's the same thing. And I suppose it's, it's you know, the, the, a healthy organization. I, I use, uh, I was thinking when you were speaking, I was thinking about companies that implement a software change. And for our business, it's very traumatic. Yes. Right? Or, ERP uh, wrong word. Wrong word. It's cuts across the entire business yes so decisions are made at the top of the business to change an operating system right. you put it in place in some companies it's never easy but it goes okay and some companies it's just a white hot mess oh, yeah. and i often think that that then they blame the software right or blame whatever and you know it's two different companies implementing the same platform getting a different result what's the difference and i think it goes back to this idea of a healthy company yeah right and getting aligned in, in all the things you talked about Totally. You know, with, for all the talk about artificial intelligence, you can't plug in artificial intelligence into a humanly um, unhealthy organization and expect it to work. You talk about software right now, right? Right. Yeah, right. 
And it's like tech, and, and I worked at software companies, and you know, it's like this isn't going to be your. This is not the holy grail. Well, they look for the answer, right? Oh, they oh, say, yeah. this ERP that oh, we're going to implement, yeah. this billing system is going to change. Salesforce is going to change our lives. Hey, Salesforce is great, but if sales and marketing and service don't get along and don't have honest conversations, all you're going to do is make your dysfunction more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> or if one of the heads of the department didn't want Salesforce, right? Well, what happens? Yeah, exactly. So tell me about what, what, so what are some of the symptoms of an unhealthy company? What are some of the things that somebody listening here could say, okay, if I'm seeing these things, this is me. Um, boring meetings. Okay. Because th- when people say, oh, I hate meetings, it's like, yeah, they're, what they usually mean is they're boring and we don't get a lot done. And I don't know what, what a good analogy is, but that's like, that's what we do when we're leaders. If we're not going to meetings and engaged and making good decisions and really putting it out there and we're bored and we complain about them, it's kind of like saying, I don't really do my job well. So boring, ineffective meetings are the sign of a problem. Conversations after the meetings in the hallways that were not had during the meetings are a sign of the problem. Employees who are not excited about what they're doing and don't brag about their company to other people. These are indications. These are like artifacts. Um, what you really find is an executive team that doesn't like to be together, people who don't, aren't on the same page about what we should be doing, executives who under-communicate what's going on, and um, bureaucracy. Those are the things, like process for the sake of process. Well, it's like people, when, when people go, oh, we have to do performance reviews this week, this is my least favorite week of the year. And you, you go, why? And they go, because it's just, it's, it's, a, it's such a waste of time. I fill out all this paperwork. I have to answer all these questions. It's not really related to their job. It's just so that compensation can decide if they should get a 3% or a 4% raise. And it's just so we don't get sued. And, and they feel like it's extraneous to their work. Whereas if you say, no, we're going to design this around your core values and around the principles we have, the executive is like, oh, no, this is my chance to talk to them about what's really important. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a great help to me in better managing. But if it's generic and bureaucratic, it's wasted time. If it's actually tied to the real company culture, it's actually interesting. Got it. Got it. So those are the tells, yeah. so to speak, if, if you've got work to do. And we all got some of that, right? Oh, yeah. No, every company has dysfunction. And no marriage, is, no family. The, the best families I know are messy. And the best companies I worked with are messy. They're not... They when you say messy, just so people know, what, is it, what does that mean? They're human. They're emotional. Okay. People make mistakes. It's how they recover from them right. and how they treat each other in, along the way. So everybody reads an article about a, a company and says, oh, they, they make a lot of money. They must be. And the best companies are like, no, no, we're actually very human. You know, the best dads, who you and I, you know, are not incapable of getting mad at their kids. But if they do it and it's not the right thing to do, they go and apologize. Yeah. And the kids know they're loved. It's not that I'm a right. perfect father. Right. It's just I'm a messy father. Got it. Got it. Well, one of the things you said, too, um, is you know, the people that are listening to this are primarily uh, small businesses. Yeah. You know, the, companies the backbone under, of America. Yeah. A great industry, home service business. I love you it. Know, um, under $100 million in sales, most of them in the 3 to 4 to $5 million, so right in that space, yeah. right? And you made something interesting, So, and I believe this, right? Um, tell me what your view of working with a small business is working with a, a huge multinational monolith out there and i've probably there's, answered my own question yeah, there. but there's okay. such a huge advantage to being small and that's why this organizational health is so important because if you're small and you're healthy you can be so much more nimble and do things that a big company can't 
Right. And all you should, everybody that works in a small business should go work in a big company for three days a year to just go, oh my gosh, I had to go through two and a half days of meetings just to make a decision that was so patently obvious that we would have done without even thinking. And they'll, they'll realize this is awesome. But if you're a small company and you have that advantage and you're not taking advantage of it, that you're not actually building a really cohesive leadership team, that you're not crystal clear about what kind of organization you are so you can make good decisions. If you're a small company and you're allowing yourself to struggle with some of the, and you're like, you, we're, we're small and we're bureaucratic, or we're small and, and we still have conversations in the hallways. We still can make a decision, right? Right. right. It's, it's such a waste. Right. And I prefer smaller organizations to larger ones because they can make a difference. And which is why it's a tragedy if they don't take full advantage of that. Well, that's great because to me it really carved out a, a competitive edge. Because we've got, you know, uh, our industry is in transformation in a good way. You know, our, our members and, and, you know, bigger companies are in our business, are in our space, utilities. And um, it's easy to think that, oh, my gosh, they're going to crush the world. And I just don't agree in our, no. in our space. I just don't, I don't see it. In fact... They will not be able to replicate what you do if you get good at it. And what I mean is if you build a cultural advantage, and what I mean by that is not soft. I mean like we process through decisions quicker. We address problems faster. We work better together. We rally for our customers better. We know them because we can. No big company can emulate that. Right, right. Even if they're healthy. Right. Right? Even if they're really big and healthy. But I get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was a great, that was an inspiring message. Good. What else would you like to share? Anything else? You know, um, th- th- this most recent book I did called The Ideal Team Player, which goes with the five dysfunctions, uh-huh. I almost didn't write it because I thought it was too simple. And I got encouraged to write it. And it's taking off. And what it d- basically answers the question of, are some people better than others at being team players? Like, we, the, okay. the five dysfunctions are, you know, we have to be vulnerable right. and build trust. We have to have good conflict. We have to commit. We have to hold each other accountable. We have to focus on results. Those are the things you do. You have a group of people, yeah. and that's how you build a team. But years ago, somebody said, are some people better at it than others? And I was like, I don't know. And then we accidentally, and I won't go into the whole story, but we actually figured out, oh, my gosh, there's actually three qualities okay. in a person. And there, if you can find people and hire people and develop and encourage your own people that already work there to be three things they're going to be fabulous on a team and that is are they humble is it about others or about themselves if they're needy and about themselves it's not going to work so find people that are humble and reward people that are humble are they hungry do they have a work ethic that says i want to do a little bit extra i don't want to do the minimum i want to go a little bit further I, i have a desire to to make it even better and are they smart not intellectually smart but emotionally smart do they know how people around them are feeling. Do they know how to say things that, and know how it's going to land? If they're humble, hungry, and smart, life gets very easy. If they're missing any of those in an egregious way, it gets very difficult. It's very tough. And we wrote this book thinking maybe this will be interesting. People today after my talk came up and said, we've completely integrated this into how we hire. Mm-hmm. Because it's simple. We know what to look for. In the book, we laid out like questions you can ask people. And, and people have resonated with it. Humble, hungry, and smart. So my kids, I have an 11-year-old who plays lacrosse, and his coach on a rainy day brought him into my office, and I explained that model to them. On the sideline, my son comes to me, half rolling his eyes, but I think he's glad. He goes, Dad, he talks about humble, hungry, and smart on the sideline during games. To 11-year-olds. Yeah. Right? And the kids were like, 
can we have that book? I want to read that. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, so that's the kind of the newest thing. Yeah, it's called The Ideal Team Player. Ideal Again, player. I almost didn't write it. I thought it was too simple. And people said, no, that people will need to hear this. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming here. It we- has been genuinely uplifting for me. What you guys do with your members and the level of depth and integrity you have in, in the, the training and teaching and, and interconnection you do is super impressive. And I, I'm gonna, I want to keep my eye on you guys and stay in touch. Thank you. Please do that. I sure appreciate you coming here. And thank you all for listening to another episode here of Leadership Lounge. I encourage you. The books are The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. The Advantage. The Advantage. And the ideal team player. The ideal team player. The newest one's the ideal team player. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. It's great to I be appreciate here. your time. And thank you again for listening to another episode here at Leadership Lounge. This is Jack Tester. We'll catch you next time. Thanks so much. Yeah.